What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 63 of the Default Gridiron Edition. I'm your host, Anthony Paolo, joined, of course, by my co-host, Corey Lickman at Core. It's been a minute now. I mean, over a month now, we haven't been on a pod, and I'm excited to get back, finally start talking NFL again. The NFL draft just happened this past week, and I'm excited to recap that, talk about the trades that happened, obviously the shocking picks. We'll talk about teams that won the draft, teams that we think lost the draft, talk about some other league news that's been going on, and more importantly, Court, let's just talk some football because it's been a while, and I'm excited to get back to it. Yeah, definitely. It's good to be back on uh, on the deep ball. You know, we kind of went through almost like the dog days of the offseason, and now we got the NFL draft. So, yeah, hype to um... – to recap that and then the other league news that uh, that went on this week. So definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, listen, Corey, we had a successful 2021 season on the deep ball recording episodes and stuff like that. I mean, you could today we even maybe won a Super Bowl and stuff like that. We had a little bit of a Super Bowl break. You know what I mean? We went on vacation for a little bit. <laughs> but we're back. That's it. And we're going to start talking first, recapping the NFL draft. And, Corey, it all starts at the top. We'll talk about the number one overall pick made by the Jacksonville Jaguars, Trayvon Walker, defensive end out of Georgia. Core. For a long time, it seemed like Aiden Hutchinson was pinned down to this number one overall pick. And then Trayvon Walker, obviously, his stock has been soaring ever since really Georgia won the national title game. Not a crazy amount of production at Georgia for Walker. Only nine and a half career sacks there. Never was named an All-American. Never was even named All-SEC. However, he's a freak athlete, Core. I mean, the guy's 6'5", 270. He's running a 4'5", That's unheard of. Dominated the combine. Dominated his pro day. And... The Jaguars, obviously, they have needs everywhere. They see the upside in Walker, and they hope that he can become a franchise cornerstone for him. I mean, this is a huge risk pick, if you ask me, in a sense of betting on a guy's upside. But listen, it's not like Walker was – I mean, the, the guy was surrounded by some of the best talent in all of college football. I mean, Georgia's defense had, a, what, like five players, I believe, drafted in the first round of this draft. That doesn't even include N'Kobe Dean, who fell. We'll get into that later. So it's not like, again, he was sharing the field with a bunch of guys who, like, like th- there was a lot of guys stealing the action from him is what I'm trying to say. So for Walker, at pick number one, yes, it was a surprise. I think a lot of people within the last week probably saw it coming. But uh, I-, I can't say I was too shocked once the card was written in on draft day and the commissioner announced Trayvon Walker would be heading to Jacksonville. But I'm curious what you think about Trayvon Walker personally over Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with you. I definitely think it's a risk. I mean, you could think of it two ways. The Jacksonville Jaguars, probably the worst team in the NFL. You can think of it like two ways. One way you could think they need pro-ready guys who can make an impact from day one. I'm not saying Trayvon Walker can't do that. But I think if you want that type, like day one production, I think Aiden Hutchinson would have um, definitely fitted the Jaguars better. But I guess the Jaguars are just figuring that, hey, we're, we're already really bad. Let's go for the uh, the home run pick. I, I think Trayvon Walker definitely has, like, a bigger upside than Aiden Hutchinson. I think Aiden Hutchinson will come in. I think Hutchinson will be better to, like, begin. But I think Walker has a lot more upside. Like you said, he's a freak athlete. So I guess the Jags are just banking on – um, Walker to evolve into that superstar um, edge rusher that they that they need. But yeah, I mean, you're honestly kind of right. I think him playing on a team like Georgia and that defense there, there's a lot of guys capable of making the tackle, making big plays. So, I mean, he's going to be on the Jaguars. He's probably going to be the, uh, hopefully that that cornerstone for them on, on the defensive side of the ball. So this is his real time to, to shine. And um. Yeah, I don't hate the pick. I, I like the um, kind of like swinging for the fences, banking on a guy who killed the 40 and hoping he evolves into a superstar. I think Aiden Hutchinson will be really good also, but I would say Trayvon Walker's like ceiling, I think, could be a little higher than uh, Aiden Hutchinson's. Yeah, for sure. I think that's definitely a fair thing to say that right now, looking at the two, I think Trayvon Walker, you could say, has a higher ceiling, but definitely Jacksonville's got to make sure that they develop him right and get him right. Because, I mean, Aiden Hutchinson going number two, staying in the state of Michigan to the Detroit Lions, first of all, is just absolutely awesome. I mean, think about Detroit Lions fans. I mean, these guys probably, you know what I mean? They're, they're probably Michigan football fans as well, or maybe Michigan State fans, but they're Michigan Wolverine fans. They just watched arguably maybe their favorite player this past year dominate, lead them to a college football playoff appearance, and now he's coming home. He lived, grew up in the state of Michigan. His dad was a Michigan football alum and stuff like that. So good for Aiden Hutchinson. Hopefully he can bring that culture that he was able to develop this past year at Michigan to Detroit. I mean, what better fit, I feel like, than Aiden Hutchinson, a prospect who he gets talked about a lot for his effort and his good stuff like that. He's so talented, too, in his own right. Don't get me wrong. It's not like Aiden Hutchinson's this, like, 
mediocre athlete who's just wins based on effort. No, Aiden Hutchinson is a hell of a football player, and he's going to be a very good football player in the NFL for sure. But him with Dan Campbell, I mean, just fits so well, if you ask me. That identity in the Detroit Lions locker room now is going to be tough. And you know that um, they're, they're going to fight every single week. And I think Hutchinson was definitely like the perfect type of prospect to go to the Lions. So I think that's awesome for them there. Core, moving down a little bit more on the board. I think the big surprise for a lot of people around the league will be at pick number three with Derek Stingley. Derek Stingley was a star his freshman year at LSU, that team that went undefeated with Joe Burrow at quarterback. I think what's crazy about that team is you look all over that defense. I can't – at this point – I don't even know the exact number of NFL guys that are on that defense. I mean, you have Grant Delpit, you got um, Patty Queen, the middle linebacker. I mean, there's a there's a couple other guys over there. Christian Fulton was the other corner, and like Christian Fulton, second round pick out of Tennessee, he's had an all right start to his career. I mean. He was the number two corner there because Derek Stingley was taking the opponent's best receivers as a true freshman. I mean, that guy was an immense talent. If he could have came out of the draft after his true freshman year, I'm convinced he would have been a top 10 pick. And then 2020, a, little, a couple injuries, 2021 as well. You know what I mean? The consistency wasn't really there. And people are saying, oh, will Stingley fall out of the top 15? This guy's talent is way too good for him to not have been a top five pick, if you ask me. So good for the Texans. Again, taking a little bit of swing on upside here. You could argue that maybe uh, Sauce Gardner, was a little bit of a safer prospect, but Stingley, you could argue too, has that higher ceiling. So teams, you know what I mean? In the draft, they're shoving it all in. I mean, the draft was in Vegas, Corey, you know what I mean? What, what are you going to do in Vegas other than gamble? And that's what these teams are doing in the NFL draft. They're going to swing for the fences and hope that the prospect that they pick turns out to be what they think he can be. Because if he can reach that ceiling, Stingley, I don't see why he couldn't be a top corner in the league in just a few years. I mean, I'm curious to think what you think about Stingley. And I mean, I know your Jets core picked up Gardner. I'd like to see, like, how do you compare the two? And, like, who would you have preferred the Jets? I know the Jets got Gardner, so it might be a little biased here. But, like, who would you have preferred them have? Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly have not seen that much of Derek Stingley. I do know he was on that national championship team, like, locking guys up. But, hey, I think I, – I really don't think you can go wrong. Um, I think Sauce Gardner, the way he played this year – uh, I know he played in the American Athletic Conference, but like the stats he puts up, like he did not give up many yards at all and tested well at the 40. Also, I know Stingley had a really good 42, but I mean, Gardner, 6'3", long body, long strides. Um, I think he ran like a 4'4 or something. But yeah, I mean, you can't really go wrong. I think both these guys in a few years, honestly, will be top corners in the league, usually you're not getting two corners drafted in the top five. That's pretty rare. Um, I mean, this draft was kind of different, obviously. We'll get into it. The first quarter pack wasn't taken till the 20th pick. But, yeah, I mean, right now I'll take Sauce Gardner. But I'm, I'm not sleeping on Derrick Stingley at all. I would have I been happy with either one of them. I mean, both those guys, you don't say this all the time. Like, I think they're generational talents at the cornerback position. I think both guys will have evolve into um, – Lockdown corners like Jeff Okuda a few years ago. I mean, I think it was like two years ago. Obviously, he got hurt, but I don't know. I think these guys are kind of like a tad above him, just like their confidence and everything, just like their ability. And, yeah, I mean, Derek Singley going three was kind of a surprise. But as we've seen, like the Jaguars and Texans, two teams that are really not good, like planning for the future, taking swings on – Potential like home run picks. So I kind of like that. But if I had to pick right now, I'm probably taking Sauce Gardner. Yeah, very fair. Very fair. And I mean, even again, the Texans and the Jaguars, I mean, they got to kind of get these right. We can say that, yeah, like they're far away from competing. So why not take the swing? But I mean, if you take swings and keep missing, then you're never going to make a step. Like you're never going to take steps forward. So they have to get some of these picks right and they got to develop them right. Hopefully they can bank on Stingley returning to that 2019 form. And if they, if he can, again, I don't see why he can't be an elite corner in the national football league core. We'll definitely touch on some of the other picks specifically in the first round and other points, but you mentioned the quarterbacks and that's kind of where I want to jump to now, because the main story of this will be the fall of the quarterbacks in this draft. Only one quarterback was selected in the first round. That's like the first time that's happened. Don't quote me exactly on this. It's 2013. I believe when EJ Manuel was drafted by the Buffalo Bills, 16th overall out of Florida state. You can't quote me on that, but I'll go with this core. Kenny Pickett, the first guy off the board at number 22, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Did you think it was going to be Malik Willis core off the board first? Or were you thinking that Kenny Two Gloves was going to stay in the city of Pittsburgh, call Heinz Field his home for his professional career and be drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers? 
I mean, honestly, before the draft, I thought Malik Willis was going to go, was going to be the first quarterback off the board. I thought, I thought when I, when Detroit traded up, uh, I kind of thought they were going to take a quarterback. Uh, who, someone else traded up. You had the Eagles trade the pick to the Titans at 18, possibly. Yeah, wait. Actually, no, I think I'm my fault. I think I'm thinking of the line. Yeah. I thought they were honestly gonna when it, we're gonna go QB when they traded up, but I don't know when 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 it came to the Steelers for some reason, I don't know why. Like I just saw Kenny Pickett as more of the fit than Malik Willis. I don't really know. I mean Malik Willis, I think, is definitely more versatile. I mean, is a dual dual threat quarterback. Kenny Pickett could run a little bit more of like an in, in the pocket. Passer, I know in the in the championship game he hit everyone he hit everyone with the fake slide, but I don't know for some reason I just thought the um, the Steelers were going to go Kenny Pickett. I thought Malik Willis would have went first, but he didn't. But I just think this class it's just a weak class and team. Oh, the Saints moved up too. They took Chris Olave. Yes, but, you're right. There you yeah. go. Yeah, Chris Olave. They took Chris Olave. Like I thought, both like the fact that both those teams moved up in the draft and they both went wide receiver. It just shows like. Like, that doesn't usually happen. I feel like when teams are moving up in the first round, they're going to get their guy, hopefully their franchise quarterback. But I guess in this draft, um, many teams just didn't see that. So I think teams like the the Saints, teams like the – maybe like the Commanders, teams like the Falcons, the Lions, like they got a quarterback right now who's definitely not their future quarterback. But I guess they just did not see a guy in this draft who could have been the, the – the franchise cornerstone. So I think they're going to wait till next year, maybe a guy like Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. Like next year is definitely going to be a way better quarterback class. So I think when you have like a bridge quarterback who could get the job done, like a serviceable quarterback. I think you wait until next year if you don't see um, a future superstar. And that's what a lot of teams did in this draft. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of teams too, instead of maybe taking that chance in the early second round or the late first round was like, all right, you know what, let's kind of just get by with this. and Let's reassess this position next year. And also, I think one of the big things is that if you take a quarterback this year in the middle of the second round, let's say like, I don't know, a team like Atlanta, right, would have taken somebody at 42. I know they take Ritter later in the draft, but let's say they would have invested Malik Willis at 42. You're not going to like move on from Malik Willis then after one year, if they have the like, if they have the number one overall pick, then next year, like, right? You didn't even get to see. Maybe you didn't even get to see Malik Willis play this year, and then it's like, all right, well, you're gonna get Bryce Young now, right? In the draft, that makes sense. Bryce Young, everybody will say, should definitely like be is better than Malik Willis or C.J. Stroud, whoever. But then, like, you're gonna punt on a 42nd overall pick a year after you like drafted him, and you never even saw him play. So, like, I think that was some of the thing too. Like, they just didn't see like the value in the quarterback to be like let's not take a quarterback then next year. Let's just wait next year and let's see on that. Except the Steelers. The Steelers see Kenny Pickett as potentially stepping in day one, which I think he can. I think him and Mitch Trubisky are going to battle each other all throughout camp. And I think it's going to be an interesting one. I don't know necessarily who will win. Obviously Pickett has had more experience at Pitt than a normal college guy. You know what I mean? He's pretty pro ready. A lot of people would say, I think his upside, I don't necessarily know if he'll ever be like the elite of the elite, but I think Kenny Pickett could be a good quarterback in the national football league. Obviously the concerns will be with the hand size and maybe necessarily that he doesn't have this elite level arm strength, but he's shown at Pitt, especially how much better he can grow. I mean, this is a guy again, who started at Pitt. I want to say like definitely since 2019, he might've even been starting at yeah, 19, 20, 20. Well, yeah, maybe even 18, he was starting 2018. He was starting at Pitt. So, I mean, he's got a lot of experience under his belt. The, the growth in his game over the course of his college career was very significant. And uh, he was definitely worthy about the pick. And I mean, long time ago, obviously, Dan Marino, former pick quarterback, he let him get away and they wouldn't let Kenny Pickett get away this time. But in comparison to Malik Willis too, Malik Willis with all the upside and the traits that he has, I know he was at a smaller school in Liberty, but like, I was pretty shocked Gore, to see him fall to pick 86. And I think the Tennessee Titans got pretty good value there. Ryan Tannehill, if you ask me, he's not necessarily this guy who's got a job who's set in stone for the foreseeable future. Yes, Tannehill will be the starter in 2022. Titans fans better not bug out after he throws an interception week one. Oh, let's bring in Malik Willis. Like Malik Willis is not ready to start. And I think that maybe contributed to why he fell a little bit in the draft. Teams thought that yeah, maybe after a year, we're not necessarily sure if Malik Willis will even be ready to go. So like, how long do we want to kind of invest in developing him? You know what I mean? So I think the traits are there for Willis. I think he definitely needs to kind of sit back a little bit and like get up to speed, which is not as his fault. Again, he was at Liberty. You know what I mean? They run a lot different of an offense than an NFL team will be. But again, 
to not like to take to get those traits that Malik Willis has at 86, the the arm strength and like the running ability. Like I don't know, you got to if you're a Tennessee Titans fan, you got to feel pretty good about that. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think Malik Willis is a guy who, if developed right, I think has the most potential upside in this draft. So I think for him to go to a playoff team right now, I think is better suited for him. I'm not saying Ryan Tannehill is is really that good because honestly, guy's kind of on the I would say he's on the way down, but he's not leveling up right now. If anything, he's at a plateau, kind of like not doing as good as he once was. Uh, so I think him to go to a team like the Titans, though, where they have a good team. I know they just traded AJ Brown. We'll get into that, but you have Derrick Henry. You have a good offense. The team has made the playoffs the last few years. So I think for him to go to that team, there's less pressure on him right now, especially if they have another good season, people aren't going to be like, we want Malik Willis. But if he goes to a team like Atlanta and Atlanta gets off, I'm not hey Marcus Mariota. I'm not slandering you at all, but like you get off to a two and seven start in Atlanta, people are going to be calling for Malik Willis. I think he's a guy who I think he has to sit maybe one, two years before he, um, he gets a legit shot in the league because he does have a lot of traits. Like he could, he has an absolute cannon. He he's a strong runner. Had I think 13, 14 touchdowns this year, but he does have a lot of flaws. Like his ability to read defenses probably not at an elite level right now. So I think he has to develop and sit for maybe a year or two in the NFL before he has like a legitimate shot to to succeed. So I think going to a team like the Titans, who are a good team. I know Ryan Tanner, like I said, is not that good right now, but they're a good team. So I think he could sit back in, uh, and develop and learn from there. So I think it's better that he went to a, a good team at this point. Yeah, I think that. And again, even when he get, finally gets on the field, he's going to have a good supporting cast around him. That's going to give him the best possible chance to succeed. Core, the two other quarterbacks we're taking earlier, I guess I'll say in the draft, I wouldn't necessarily quantify these guys as early, too, where they were picked. Desmond Ritter at 74, Matt Corral at 94. I'll give it to you first. I mean, which one of these two quarterbacks do you think is in the best position to succeed? Do you think that Ritter or Corral will have, I guess, I mean, do you have a crystal ball in front of you, Core? Who's got the, like, who's going to have a, a better I don't I don't want to say career in a sense you know what I mean but like which of the two like is more appealing to you if you ask me yeah I think both these guys are appealing I think I think Matt Corral has some some swag to him but I don't know I'd probably say Desmond Rear I mean Desmond Rear six foot four 211 he's been on a team in Cincinnati which honestly most of his career the last two years he's, he, he's been able to win a lot of football games I mean Matt Corral had a good year at Ole Miss this year, but he's had uh, seasons there at Ole Miss where they really haven't been as good as it could have been. I know he's I know he's playing in a lot of shootouts, like his defense didn't really help him. But I don't know. I think Desmond Rear at this point in his career, like winning sometimes. I mean, winning does carry over a lot of times. Like look at Joe Burrow. So I think Desmond Ritter. I know he lost to Alabama and to Georgia um, in those last two like seasons, but I think. Yeah, I think his like his winning pedigree, I think, could carry over to the NFL. And I think him, I wouldn't say he dropped, but like he probably was supposed to go a little higher than he went. I think that will definitely put a chip on his shoulder. I think Atlanta's a spot where there's no set in stone quarterback. So he could come in. He's been at Cincinnati for a while. So I think he can come in and I don't think he's he's definitely not gonna be the starter day one. I think it's Marcus Mariota, but I don't know. I just think that Desmond Ritter is a little more appealing. I mean, he could run, throw. So he did He did not look good at all against Alabama in the, in the college football playoff. But I'd probably say Desmond Ritter is a little more appealing to me right now than Matt Corral. Yeah, I guess it's interesting to see when Desmond Ritter will get on the field. Obviously, them bringing in Marcus Mariota in the offseason. I'm not sure if Atlanta is going to project to be so great this year. I think you'd say they're going to be one of the worst teams in the league. But it was ever a quarterback there. They're going to have Kyle Pitts in the red zone. And then also their new first-round pick, Drake London. I think that is absolutely unfair that defenses have to guard the two inside the 20-yard line. Core, I'm going to disagree with you, though, on this argument. I'm going to go with my guy, Matt Corral. Like maybe I'm a little bit of a homer and a fanboy pick here. But I love Corral's arm. And my favorite thing about Corral is his toughness. Obviously, he didn't opt out of that Sugar Bowl versus Baylor. even went down in that game. I mean, earlier in the season, I believe it was against Tennessee. He ran the ball like 30 times. The biggest problem with Corral 
is if you ask me, he's like six. I don't even think he's six two and two hundred pounds only, and he plays like he's so much. He plays like he's Josh Allen size, so he's definitely gonna have to like kind of hone that in a little bit. But a guy who's got great arm strength too, played in a lot of RPOs in an RPO system in college, similar to Malik Willis in that sense that he might have to like. Like the learning curve might be a little more difficult and stuff. He's going to get, got to get through more progressions. But in Carolina with a guy like Matt rule, who is kind of on the hot seat, if you ask me, Sam Donald right now, only above corral hype, like in, on a hypothetical depth, depth chart today. Like, I don't know. I think I could easily see corral pushing for a starting job. Maybe not day one, but early in the season, if Sam Donald struggles similarly to how he did in 2021, I think Corral can definitely get on the field. And I think he can just bring some energy and some people can galvanize. Like he, he's a leader. You could clearly see how that Ole Miss team this year was able to get around him and really honestly have one of their best seasons that they've had in a long time there. So uh, hopefully for Corral, he's able to get something special in Carolina. I know they have Christian McCaffrey coming back from injury as well. And he's got some playmakers on the outside too, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and Terrace Marshall. So hopefully for both of these rookie quarterbacks, I hope they succeed. But um, my guy, Matt Corral, obviously I'm hoping he can do it in Carolina. Core, you mentioned the wide receiver trade. There were two big ones on day one of the NFL draft. And we'll talk with the first one being A.J. Brown going to the Philadelphia Eagles for a first and a third round pick. That first round pick, Tennessee used to draft Traylon Burks, the wide receiver out of Arkansas, who, funny enough, his pro comparison was A.J. Brown. So, I mean, the Titans right now are looking in the mirror. They're like, we just traded A.J. Brown for a guy we think might be A.J. Brown. Cool. I'll start with this first. Going on the Titans sides of things, I think this made all the sense in the world for them. Yes, it sucks to have to trade a guy like A.J. Brown, but the way the wide receiver market's going, I mean, even right after this trade was made, A.J. Brown agreed to a four-year, $100 million contract. At $25 million a year, I think the Titans are best trading him for that first-round pick, getting a guy like Traylon Burks. And if Burks is 75% of the player that A.J. Brown was, it was a great deal for them because then it allows them to keep a receiver over the same four or five years. Cause first round pick you get under five cheaper years. I know the fifth year is an option, but it gets, it allows them to sign other guys. I know Jeffrey Simmons is doing for a contract extension. He had an awesome postseason game against the Cincinnati Bengals this past year, really a breakout 2021 season. So for the Titans in order to stay in like their competitive window, I know like AJ Brown is a budding star at the receiver position, but I think it made a lot of sense for the Titans to move on from him. Just as much sense as it made for the Philadelphia Eagles to go get him. I mean, the Eagles look at their track history, drafting wide receivers. Obviously they get all the memes with JJ Arcega white side. And then, Jalen Rager so like to give up the first round pick and then go get AJ Brown yet do I think 25 million a year is an overpay for him yes I do think a little bit but that's just where the wide receiver market is going I think AJ Brown also maybe his best years are ahead of him they got to see if Jalen Hurts is their franchise quarterback to get to give him Schmitty on one side and AJ Brown on the other I mean it's a pretty good receiving core and kind of a weakness that was seen as last year now becomes, I don't want to say necessarily a strength, but definitely much improved for Philadelphia. So I think both teams will look at this trade and they'll be like, we, we almost had to do this and it makes a lot of sense for them. I'm curious to see how it um turns out though. Yeah. I think the Titans, uh, I know last year they really, they kind of weren't the same team on offense when AJ Brown was, was not playing to be fair. I know the best running back in the NFL, Derrick Henry missed a lot of the season also. So they'll have him, to lean on more this year. But, but yeah, I think I think this is a good trade for both teams. I think the Titans don't have to pay A.J. Brown. They get a guy in Traylon Burks, another big physical receiver who, who's just a playmaker. I mean, I saw clips. Uh, you could throw him the ball at the line of scrimmage. He makes he makes plays. He He's good after the catch. I saw some A.J. Brown, some Debo Samuel um, comparisons. So I think to, to get rid of your star receiver – get back a, a solid haul and get a receiver in AJ and in Traylon Burks, who's like a similar type receiver. I think that's a, a really good move for them. And then the Eagles, I mean, you're not losing a receiver. You're gaining AJ Brown, a budding star from Ole Miss who when he's on the field, he's been absolute dynamite. I mean, he's been explosive. He's helped that Titans team. And you saw like the impact when he was off the field and how it um hurt their offense. So I think, yeah, to get, A.J. Brown, a big physical receiver, and then Devontae Smith, a, um, a silky smooth route runner type receiver to go along with Dallas Goddard, tight end position. If Jalen Hurts could be the, uh, be the guy for them, I think that offense could take another 
step this year. So I like the trade for both teams. Uh, I saw how both teams were thinking. So I think, honestly, in the long run, it'll benefit both teams. Yeah, that's definitely fair to say. And I think that both teams will be excited, like we're excited when the deal was made. And I think they will be excited to see how the results pan out. The other big wide receiver that was traded core on Thursday night was Marquise Brown, of, formerly of the Baltimore Ravens. He gets sent to the Arizona Cardinals to reunite with his college quarterback, Kyler Murray core. I'd say this one is a little bit of a head scratcher. And I think that might be an understatement here. Marquise Brown through three years in the league. I don't want to say he's been, he has been inconsistent for sure. I definitely don't think he's lived up to the first round pedigree that he has, but he did kind of request a trade silently to the Baltimore Ravens said, you know what I mean? I don't know if necessarily the system is the best for me, which I think he will excel definitely, or at least his production will increase in Arizona. I think that type of air raid offense definitely fits his skill set better. I think the Ravens make out great in this deal, getting a first round pick back for him, especially because Marquise Brown is due for a contract extension probably next offseason because he's going into his fourth year. He's got that fifth-year option that's going to kick in as well. That's pretty expensive. So I think that Arizona, this is kind of a move that they just want to kind of please their quarterback who's pretty unhappy. Kyler Murray, obviously, all that contract saga that has undergone throughout the offseason and stuff like that. But I'm curious what you think about this trade. Maybe you're a little bit more optimistic on the Cardinal sides of things. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly had no idea that Marquise Brown requested a trade. I, I know – uh, it's not, that's not a great, like Baltimore is not a great spot for, for wide receivers, especially with Lamar Jackson, but I'm kind of surprised because I, I don't know the guys personally, but it seemed that Lamar and Marquise kind of had a, a good solid connection, but at the end of the day, it's a business you want to succeed. So if he thinks another uh, system will make him a better receiver then I respect it. But I think in this position, I think it's a good get for the Arizona Cardinals. I think that. Adding a playmaker, I know they didn't know what was going to happen with DeAndre Hopkins. Obviously, we'll kind of get into that also. But Marquise Brown, I think this past year definitely was his best year as a as an NFL player. And I think he, he's on the way up. I think him going to Arizona in a system with Cliff Kingsbury will definitely help get the ball in his hands. He is a playmaker. So I, I like the trade for Arizona. I didn't, know, I didn't know he requested a trade from Baltimore. But I know Baltimore, I mean, their receiving core was kind of weak even with Marquise Brown. So for them to trade Marquise Brown and not draft the receiver, I think is a little bit of a head scratch. I know Mark Andrews, obviously a top receiving tight end in the league. Uh, hopefully they're banking on the rise of Rashad Bateman. And then they'll, they'll have JK Dobbins back Lamar Jackson. So I don't know. I think the Cardinals definitely did well here to, to get Marquise Brown and the Ravens are a smart organization. So I trust them that it'll work out for them. But if I'm looking on paper and I think, I think the Cardinals kind of uh, won this trade, especially in a really good division, I think to get a playmaker like that, um, I think it's a good trade for them. Yeah. I mean, that's fair to say, Corey, we can definitely disagree on this one because the one thing that definitely backs your side of the argument too, and the Cardinal sides of things is that just look around the league and the wide receivers, like the value of wide receivers has absolutely skyrocketed this past offseason. Obviously you've seen the contracts, the Tyree kill contract, when he got traded to Miami, the Devontae Adams contract, when he got traded to the Raiders. And Stephon Diggs got a big contract extension. Now you're seeing A.J. Brown get $25 million a year. Debo Samuel, that whole saga, we'll get into that in a little bit. And then even in this draft court, we had six wide receivers go in the top 16 picks. It's clear that what teams are starting to identify is that if we could take these wide receivers early in the draft and they're elite, then we could have them for a lot, like a couple cheap years where they're giving us elite level production. I mean, You've seen Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase burst onto the scene these past couple of years and perform like wide receiver ones when they're only in their first year. So for a team to be able to get that at a fifth of the cost of Devontae Adams or even less than that, teams will jump all over that opportunity. And likewise, when teams see an opportunity to get a guy like Marquise Brown who they think can be a game changer, they are going to give up a first-round pick for him. That's a premium price a couple of years ago. A guy like Marquise Brown, if you actually he's not going for a first round pick, but the way the wide receiver market has really unfolded this past offseason definitely has really boosted everybody's value, every wide receiver's value. So if you're trying to trade for a wide receiver right now, it is definitely difficult. If you're a veteran wide receiver right now, too, in free agency, I'm looking at Julio Jones. I'm looking at Odell Beckham Jr. I know he's recovering from that torn ACL, but 
I'm sure your phones are ringing this weekend because teams like the Baltimore Ravens are looking to pick up a receiver. Teams like the Green Bay Packers. I know they picked up Christian Watson, who's a nice little ball player. I know I'm saying literally 6'4". He's a monster of a receiver. Good with the ball in his hands, too, from North Dakota State. Corey, let's talk about those some other winners and losers of this NFL draft weekend. I'll keep it with the Baltimore Ravens. I thought it was a good trade, Corey, but not only do I think it was a good trade because selling high on Marquise Brown, what they did with the pick then, Tyler Lindenbaum is arguably the best center in this draft and one of the safest prospects, if you ask me, in this draft. I think he's going to slot into that Ravens offensive line and probably be a pro bowler, of course. Uh, centers have a huge success rate. If you look at the past couple of drafts and what they've been able to accomplish, like Travis Frederick comes to mind, Ryan Kelly, another center, Corey Lindsley's another center taken earlier in the draft. And more importantly, with their first pick, they took Kyle Hamilton, who I think Kyle Hamilton was one of the most slandered players in this draft process. I know he doesn't play maybe a premium position at safety, but I, I'll declare quite Kyle Hamilton will be an all pro by the end of his fourth season. I think he's that special of a talent. Yes, you could slander his 40 time and stuff like that, but game speed is just different. That guy has instincts. He is where he needs to be at all times. Uh, I know he's a little bit banged up a little bit at Notre Dame this year with that ankle injury, but I think he's going to be a star. And especially in that Ravens secondary, I mean, this easily puts them at the best secondary in the league. I know Marcus Peters is coming back from that HCL injury, but you have Marlon Humphrey as well with new Marcus Williams at safety next to Kyle Hamilton. That is a tough, tough defense to pass on. So the Ravens, if you ask me, were definitely one of my big winners. Corey, I'll bring it over to you. Who do you think won the weekend? Yeah, I think the, Ra- the Ravens are up there for me despite losing Marquise Brown. I think getting Kyle Hamilton at 14, I think that that's got to be a steal. I know you didn't test well at the combine, but like you said, game speed and instincts definitely matter over that. So I think the Ravens did well, but honestly, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the kind of casual picks. I think the Jets and the Giants, like I know we're from New York. You're a Giants fan. I'm a Jets fan. I just think that, I mean, I'm not even trying to be biased. Like both teams, I think. Certainly winners in this one, I think, for the Jets to get Sauce Gardner. I mean, at four, like obviously he was going to be there. But I think in a division where you play with, I mean, now you have Tyree Kill and Stephon Diggs. I know Tyree Kill is really fast, obviously. But I think you need to try to get a lockdown corner, someone who could at least, like, intimidate the opposing um, wide receiver one. So I think to get a guy potentially guard, Stephon Diggs, sometimes Tyreek Hill, I think, is big. And then to get Garrett Wilson at 10, probably the best receiver in this draft, to, to, to help out Zach Wilson, I think, is big. And then, yeah, to trade up to get Jermaine, Jermaine Johnson, who was a guy who's being talked about to go really early. I think the Jets were pretty, pretty low in the league in sacks last year. So to get him, I think, is really big. And then, I mean, the Giants, you get Kayvon Thibodeau, who, I mean, honestly, I thought – I thought could have been – obviously, he's not going ahead of Aiden Hutchinson, but I thought – I just think Kayvon Thibodeau is an NFL-ready edge rusher. He was pretty pretty good at Oregon. He's just a, a big, explosive athlete. So, I think to get him and then get Evan Neal, a big, big offensive lineman, a guy, what is he, like 6'7", six, 6'8", six, to, to boost your offensive line. That's only in the first round, too. So, I think both the, the, the Jets and the Giants, two teams who – Record haven't been good the last few years. I think both of them did really well here in uh, in the first round and in the draft. Yeah, I mean, again, Core, the Big Apple is a good day, especially the first round for both of those teams. I mean, if you ask me, the Giants walk away with arguably two of the top talents in the whole draft. I mean, there was a point where in January you were talking about the, who will be the number one overall pick, Evan Neal, if they go offensive lineman Jacksonville or Kevon Thibodeau if they go edge. And then obviously Kevon Thibodeau, some questions have arose about him. But if you ask me, I mean, I'm hyped that they did because the Giants, I'm so happy they took a chance on him and I'm loving how he's going to be in the big city. You know what I mean? He's got that big city personality too. And I can't wait to see him thrive here. And I mean, the Jets too. I mean, they get three guys who on their draft board were in the top 10. That's unbelievable. That's a great haul for them. Yes, they had two picks inside the top 10, just like the Giants did, but that still doesn't discredit them. Jermaine Johnson going back into the first round to go get was a good move by Joe Douglas. He also drafts Brees Hall early in the second round. So that's a top running back on a lot of people's boards there. And then court, I had to shout him out. I mean, Jeremy Rucker, a tight end, you know what I mean? A Long Island native. This is a guy too, core that Ohio State, maybe a little overshadowed with guys like Chris Olave, 
Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and the Jigba catching the ball. But at Druckert showed that he was a good blocker at Ohio State. And I'm telling you, he will be a better receiver at the next level because of that. A little bit of a crowded tight end room right now for the Jets, but it was definitely an all-star pick from Joe Douglas and company. And I know the Giants, too, they rounded out their draft good in day two and day three. I know they drafted uh, Darian Beavers with their last pick. It's sixth rounder out of Cincinnati, really one of the figureheads of that Cincinnati defense these past couple of years. A good blitzing linebacker should fit well in the Giants' new defensive system. They picked up a tight end. They lost Evan Ingram. You get another little speedy tight end, but this one, more of a blocker. So hopefully Brian Dable has some things in store for him. So, yeah, I thought it was a good – three days overall for the Jets and the Giants. One other team core, I the Philadelphia Eagles, I thought they got better this week. Obviously getting A.J. Brown, they drafted Jordan Davis as well. And N'Kobe Dean is the big X factor. I'll put an asterisk next to the Eagles because if N'Kobe Dean and his medicals check out, obviously he fell a lot because teams were concerned about his shoulder and his pec. They both think that he they need like he needs surgery on both of those. So for that, like I, I, I'll say incomplete, but I think the Eagles have a chance to really walk away with it because of, they took a swing on the Kobe Dean potentially. I think they picked him out of that pick eighty three. They got him at so uh, there's definitely a uh, definitely a lot of value to be had in that pick core. Let's talk about some losers here. Um, you're a Texas guy, core zero draft picks. I mean that that's just to put it blunt, that's brutal. That's tough. It's a I know it's going to be a new era of Texas football, but uh, yeah, that's no good, dude. Yeah, I mean that's honestly surprising. I think Texas, I mean they usually have they usually have some solid pros in in the NFL, a lot of skilled position guys, DBs. So for them to have a zero picks in what is it, 252 or 262 picks, I think is honestly pretty crazy. But I'm gonna st- I'm gonna go to a team I think is a loser as like an NFL team. I I don't know. I think for the for the well, the Green Bay Packers to lose uh, Devontae Adams this offseason. I think Alan Lazard's a free agent. Mark Marquez Valdez-Scantling is gone. I think for them to not get a receiver in uh, in the first round, I think kind of kind of hurts them. I think I know Aaron Rodgers. I don't know. I don't know what actually. I don't know what happened with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, but apparently Aaron Rodgers said he knew that he was he was going to go. But I think right now that that receiving core. Is it's honestly pretty weak. You got Randall Cobb. Um, you just signed Sammy Watkins. It, it's just not a great receiving room. I, I know Aaron Rodgers is great, but you watch him a lot of times. Like he'll just throw the ball to Devonta Adams. Devonta Adams will make a lot of plays. I think they needed to get a playmaker, and and they didn't do that at all for their offense. They took two defensive players in the first round, which could always help. But I think losing Devonta Adams, you kind of needed to get a receiver. Hey, maybe they go out. And get Odell Beckham Jr., but I don't know. I think for the draft, at least, I, I would say the Packers are, are losers. Yeah, the one thing I'll say about the Packers, I think they got a little bit unlucky. I think they were picking – they were picking at 22 and 28. Mm-hmm. And the way that the draft board kind of unfolded, I mean, you had six receivers go off by the top 16 picks. They almost kind of didn't want to reach on one. So they take the two two different Georgia defenders that took Quay Walker and they took the other defensive lineman wide. They did trade back early up into the second round to go get Christian Watson, who is a receiver. But, again – for a rookie there, a guy from North Dakota State, too, to be able to like to step in day one and be kind of asked as like the number one target, I think is kind of too much on his plate. You know what I mean? Yes, dude, I say he's immensely talented. But um, again, this is like you're, it, it's a different story to ask a number three overall pick to go do that. And then to go ask a second rounder from a small school to walk in day one and be Aaron Rodgers' number one target, I think that's a tall ask. I, I really don't know if that's a plausible test. So Green Bay definitely has to figure something out at the wide receiver position. One other team that I guess, core, I'll, I'll call them a loser, I guess I'll say, of the draft. I'm going to go with the Washington Commanders, core. Yes, they got Sam Howell later in the draft in the fifth round, which could turn out to be a pretty good deal. But uh, Jahan Dotson, I was just never really sold on. And to pick him at pick number 16, I think, was a little bit early. I think it was also an overreaction. I also didn't love how they moved down from 11 to 16 when they could have took a guy like Chris Olave or Jamison Williams. If they were going to go the receiver route, I think they should have just stayed put at 11, taking either Olave or Jamison Williams. And then I think they ended up picking like an extra third rounder in the process, which don't get me wrong, a third rounder have values. I'd love to look at more trade charts and see a little more in depth on who they think – got more value in the trade, but 
me personally, I, I, I've just never really completely sold a Jahan Dotson. Jahan Dotson will probably prove me wrong. He plays the Giants twice a year now, being in the same division. So he'll go for 300 yards because I went on this ramp. But I don't know. That, that was something I felt a little bit uneasy easy about. They did go with back-to-back Bama players later in the draft with uh, Mathis, the defensive tackle, and Brian Robinson Jr. Brian Robinson Jr., again, he had a good uh, senior year. Obviously, at Bama kind of had to wait his turn. I didn't – I don't – I'm curious how Brian Robinson will translate, honestly, to the NFL. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But I guess that was one thing on Washington. Like, if I had to choose somebody in the first round, I didn't love what they did. I guess I would go with Washington. But, hey, who knows? That's why I'm I'm, I'm no expert. You know what I mean? I don't got the crystal ball. So we'll see how that kind of pans out like that. I thought the Cardinals obviously got the shorter end of the stick in that trade with the Baltimore Ravens. So I don't want to classify them as a loser, but kind of put them almost in that category. They did also go with Trey McBride in the second round after they just signed Zach Ertz to three year, 30 million, like to, to a three year, $30 million deal. So I think that was also a little curious, like the Cardinals. I mean, they're not a perfect team by any stretch of the imagination. And then to kind of spend your first round pick going to trade for a receiver and your second round pick on a tight end, when you already had a pretty good receiving core, uh, definitely a little head scratching. I know Rondell Moore too. They just drafted in the second round last year. Now I know they lost Christian Kirk, but they kind of have a like a crowded receiving room. I'm definitely curious to see what will go on from there. Core. One last thing we'll touch on in the NFL draft. Just a couple of sleepers. I'll touch on one guy real quick. One of my favorite fits of the whole draft. James Cook, the younger brother of Dalvin Cook, going to the Buffalo Bills. Cook. At, from the University of Georgia, did a lot of work as a receiver as well. I think he's going to be awesome in the backfield with Josh Allen. And Buffalo has tried to get this running back position right. I'm um, hopefully James Cook can be a good change of pace back for them. He's not going to be Dalvin in the in the league. He does bring a different skill set in that sense of how good of a receiver he is. Not saying Dalvin isn't a bad receiver, but James Cook definitely primarily known for his receiving work out of the backfield. So to see him go to a team like Buffalo is definitely awesome, and I'm hoping to see a, a lot of success out of him. Any other prospect correlate that um really jumped out at you? Yeah, I definitely like that pick of James Cook, a team searching for some type of explosive running back. But I wouldn't say this is late second-round pick. Uh, I think the Kansas City Chiefs getting Sky Moore to kind of step into a similar role as Tyreek Hill, hopefully, I think was, um, was, a, good, was a good move for them. I think they're similar – Similar body structures, both 5'10", low, strong type guys. Uh, I think Sky Moore ran a 4-4 at, at the combine. Fast receiver did well this year at Western Michigan. So I kind of like the the Chiefs going out and getting a similar type structured receiver. As Tyreek Hill, I'm not expecting them to come in and to be like Tyreek Hill because I don't think anyone is Tyreek Hill. But I think in that offense, Tyreek Hill played a big role. And to get a playmaker who, if he gives you – some type of production at that position. I'm not expecting Tyreek Hill numbers, like I said, but I think to get him in that offense, I think will will help them be um be a better team, especially in the AFC West. Yeah, for sure. And they also actually did sign an undrafted free agent in Justin Ross, former Clemson wide receiver. Justin Ross, look, he has a lot of uh, medical red flags around him that caused him to go undrafted. But again, this is a guy who in Trevor Lawrence, like. I believe he was a freshman the same year as Trevor Lawrence. Yes, he definitely was. I mean, when they won the national championship, this was a guy who if he could have came out of the draft, he probably would have been a first-round pick. I mean, in that receiver room with T. Higgins and Amari Rodgers, he was arguably Trevor Lawrence's favorite target. So, obviously, he has a lot of things to clear off the field and stuff like that. But on the field, I know he wasn't able to put together maybe necessarily as good of a season as he was his freshman year. But this is a guy, again, you're going to bet on high-level talent. That's what the Chiefs are doing, obviously trying to rebuild the production lost from Tyreek Hill. There's one other guy, Core, who I did like. I did like what the Indianapolis Colts did. They got that guy, Alec Pierce, out of Cincinnati, a tall receiver. And they also picked up a Jelani Woods, who's a tight end core. He's 6'7". He ran a 4'6'40". I think he was like 20-something reps on the bench press. It was the best out of the tight end. He was like a former quarterback recruit, transfers over to Virginia, definitely raw at the tight end position. But core, I feel like every year the Colts just always have, like they have four different tight ends who score like four touchdowns a year. Like Mo Ali Cox, you got Jack Doyle, Trey Burton was there for a little bit. So like if, you, if you're a tight end, I feel like you kind of want to go to the Indianapolis Colts. They seem like they know what they're doing there. So for Jelani Woods, maybe a more of a raw prospect. Matt Ryan gets a nice red zone target there for like them to bring in Pierce and Woods alongside Michael Pittman, definitely an area of weakness. I would say the pass catching group is on them. Again, I'm not going to say this is a strength now, but definitely did something to help improve that. So I'm curious to see how those two guys fit in Indianapolis core. 
That's going to do it for our draft coverage and going to bring us in to what's next this NFL offseason. With the NFL draft coming to an end core, that means Debo Samuel can't be traded for a 2022 NFL draft pick. I mean, he wants out of San Francisco. It looks like that's kind of clear. It looks like he doesn't want to play that wide back role that made him so good this past year in 2020. Personally, I understand why he doesn't, but at the same time, Core, his value is just so much higher when he's at that position because of his versatility and stuff like that. Like, if I was a team trading for Debo Samuel, I would want to be able to use him in that role. I don't want that being something that, like, he's not bought into. So, that would be something that would scare me off a little bit trading. Yes, Debo Samuel is a great wide receiver. Don't get me wrong. He's a wide receiver one in the league for sure. But I think if you take Debo's like running back ability and like the value that he brings to the table there. I don't know if like you put Debo in the top, like, you know, you know what I mean? Like I, I think his value just goes down too much when you take the, his ability to like, like what Shanahan was able to do with him this year was just so awesome. So I, I don't know. That's what I'm trying to say. I think that him not buying into the wide back, I get it. It's probably better for his longevity if he doesn't take that much of a, like, I mean, that that's tough on his body, what he's doing week in and week out. But um, yeah, I just think like for his 2022 value, it definitely hurts. And I think that teams are trying to like figure out like how, how to really value him if he just wants to play receiver. Yeah, I mean, you think I think I can see where he's coming from, but I think when you're when you're in the NFL and I think I know he had a good season as a receiver, but I think what makes Debo Samuel so explosive and such like a different type of player than a lot of players in this league is his ability to come out of the backfield and make plays like that. So I think, Hey, I think he, he, he obviously must be confident in his, in his abilities to, to be a top receiver in like a pure receiver in this league, if, if that's what he wants, but you could say he, he might think like it, it's worse for him. Like he could get injured, but I don't know. You're talking about money. I think, what may obviously, like you said, I think what makes him Debo Samuel is his ability to be a hybrid, just just a pure playmaker out of the backfield uh, on the outside. So if, if I'm Debo, I, I guess I I see where he's coming from, but unless unless you're taking like an absolute beating from the backfield and you're like I, I want to, I'm like I want to be healthy. Like if you think that's what if that's causing you to to for, like injuries, then I can understand it. But if not. I think, like he's getting he getting thought of as getting top wide receiver money. I would say because his ability to do both things. So if he thinks about that, then uh, I can't tell a guy what what he wants to do and like what's wrong. But personally, I think he 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 should continue to just like do what he's doing because that that's what makes him the best player he is. Well, yeah, I mean, if you think of it this way, like A.J. Brown just got $25 million a year. If you're just using Debo Samuel as a straight-up receiver, is he worth that $25 million a year? I think you could argue that, no. But I think if you look at the way Debo was used in 2021, if A.J. Brown's making $25 million a year, I actually think you could argue Debo Samuel's 28 29 even $30 million. That's how good he was in that role, and that's how good Kyle Shanahan used him in that role. Basically, what I'm trying to get to, like, like I said, Debo, you could argue probably he's a top 10 receiver, just a pure receiver. Honestly, maybe I think he's out of that. I think Debo, like I said, used like he was in 2021, is a top five receiver in the league. I think he's that valuable and just the different things that he does. Uh, it would be a shame if you ask me if he does get traded just because we don't get to see Kyle Shanahan utilize him. I don't know if there's a coach in this league that understands Debo and his skill set as well as Shanahan does and really like, uh, puts it on display week in and week out. So for that reason, I do, especially with Trey Lance too being there, I'd love to see the creativity that Shanahan can do with those guys. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, there were some teams that did turn down offers. I know the Jets were one of those teams. They offered the 10th pick and then they wanted to actually move up, I believe, in like the second or third round and the 49ers declined that trade. So there definitely has been some rumblings. And I'm curious to see if week one, Debo is on the 49ers. I think with the draft passing, that kind of, uh, lowers the chance that he will be traded. You know what I mean? Because I don't, I don't like a team maybe a little bit less prone now to give up a pick that's a year a year away. Whereas they could have kind of been like, oh well, Debo's this maybe this missing piece this year, so we can't give up our first rounder this year because we're kind of like we we know what we have really in 2022. We don't really know where we're going to be in 2023. We don't know if we're going to want those draft picks. So I hope though Debo Samuel and the 49ers are able to figure this out because Debo last year was one of probably my favorite players to watch in San Francisco. The way he was. Just again, the guy's 
unbelievable with the ball in his hands. One of the best players in the league with the ball in his hands. So hopefully they can figure that out there. And if not, best of luck to him wherever he is and whatever team gets him is getting an absolute ball player in Devo Samuel. Corey, let's stick in the NFC West with some receivers. We kind of mentioned this a little earlier as well. DeAndre Hopkins suspended six games for performance-enhancing drugs. Maybe the Cardinals knew it when they traded for Marquise Brown. Maybe not. But with D-Hop out the first six games, definitely a bummer for sure. I mean, that is a tough division in the NFC West, obviously, for the Cardinals competing with the Super Bowl champion, LA Rams. The 49ers are going to be back. The Seattle Seahawks, yes, they're rebuilding. But again, Seattle isn't going to be no pushover in a division game. They also had a very good draft this past week. So the Cardinals, I mean, the first six games without your alpha number one receiver, that's definitely something that's going to be a tough hurdle to overcome. And for Kyler Murray, again, a quarterback who's been a little disgruntled this offseason, another like just bad thing for the Cardinals to have to deal with. Yeah, I think it's definitely unfortunate for the Cardinals and D-Hop. I think D-Hop in this league has proven himself as not only like a top player at his position, but I think he's also kind of proven himself – it's just like a professional at the position. So I know he said like he would never let his teammates down. I, I honestly kind of believe it. I, I don't know like what the like substances are that like are legal or illegal or legal, but I, I, I'm, I think DeAndre Hopkins is a professional. So I think his intentions weren't, weren't to like cheat. I don't know what he did it for, but I don't know. I think definitely a bummer, but Hey, maybe that is why the Cardinals went out and got, Hollywood Brown, it makes a lot of sense, but I, it, the offense is not the same without DeAndre Hopkins. It was clear that was the case last year in the playoffs, and before that, the few games that he missed, like they, they really missed DeAndre Hopkins. So I think for him to be out six games in a division like the NFC West, probably the second-best division, not definitely the second-best division in the NFL with a lot of good players. So it, it just makes it a lot different because now – the the Cardinals wide receiver one probably Hollywood Brown is going to be guarded by wide receiver like the cornerback the number one cornerback on the other team which is usually D Hop so it just takes it just takes everyone out of their game a little bit I mean I know Marquise was guarded a lot by the number one corner on the Ravens but I think it's definitely a bummer in that division with like you said Kyler Murray kind of not happy right now either so just unfortunate for the Cardinals but I think they got enough talent around outside of the outside of D hop to at least be competitive and win win football games until DeAndre Hopkins returns. Yeah. I mean, we mentioned earlier that they have a pretty deep wide receiver room, but man, would it have been awesome to kind of see, I mean, and now maybe, maybe core, I'm talking myself into this good trade for the Arizona Cardinals because I mean, D hop one side of the field, taking away coverage from Hollywood Brown, Hollywood Brown's going to see one-on-one coverage sometimes with no safety up. I mean, Hollywood Brown, again, is a guy coming out of Oklahoma who was absolutely explosive. You don't get the nickname Hollywood for no reason. I mean, even Rondell Moore too, just like in the slot and stuff like that, this can make, I mean, maybe it's a track meet now for the uh, Arizona Cardinals at wide receiver. Obviously they love to run those four wide receiver sets, Cliff Kingsbury and that air raid system, but we're going to have to wait a little bit to see DeAndre Hopkins in that system, at least for the start of 2022. Corey, let's talk about a new recent free agency signing actually that just happened today. Tyron Matthew going back to new Orleans to play for the saints. He did play his college ball at LSU three years, 33 million. I mean, Corey, the honey badger, one of my favorite defensive players really, uh, of my lifetime. I mean, I was a big fan of him in college. Then when he got drafted by the Arizona Cardinals, I've continued to follow him, continued to defend him. I love his versatility. I love how he's always got a knack for the football. This is an awesome signing from the Saints. Obviously, they did lose Marcus Williams in free agency. The Saints, they're trying to stay competitive in the NFC. There is a little bit of an opening in the NFC wild card. You know what I mean? A lot of teams will rotate in and out. So I'm definitely excited to see what Matthew can do back in Louisiana. And uh, yeah, definitely a good get. Again, we mentioned that Aiden Hutchinson, what that meant for like Detroit fans, obviously, because some of those guys were Michigan fans and then now they're Lion fans. I mean, look at Tyron out there. I mean, again, some of the, I, I'm sure there are a lot of Saints fans out there whose favorite college player was Tyron Matthew when he was at LSU. And now he's coming to their home team. So that's just an awesome feeling. So good for Tyron Matthew and, and a homecoming for him. Yeah, I like the fit uh, with, with the Saints. Obviously, he's from from the state of Louisiana, went to LSU. So I think it was only right for him to come back. I, when I think of the Saints defense, especially in the secondary, I just think of I just think of like dogs out there. And I think that's exactly what Tyron Matthew is. They also did get Marcus May, 
this offseason. I'm not sure if he'll be ready for camp, but I think I think the Saints defense is always a strong suit for their team. And to get the honey batcher, a guy who's going to be playing the same state he played college and grew up in, I think is definitely gonna gonna help that defense. I think he's obviously a difference maker. So I like the signing a lot. And obviously their wide receivers weren't great. Hopefully um, Michael Thomas comes back. They just got Chris Olave, Jameis Winston coming back. So like you said, I, I don't think they win the NFC NFC South. I think the, Tim, I think the Bucks win that, but hey, I think they can compete for a wild card spot. I think getting Tyron Matthew was definitely uh, extremely beneficial. Yeah, also picked up Trevor Penning, a tackle who is going to help offset the loss of Teron Armstead, who went to the Miami Dolphins this offseason. So, yeah, the Saints are definitely making moves to keep them competitive. I forgot about that Marcus May signing. They also have C.J. Gardner-Johnson in that secondary. So, yeah, you talk about two like kind of dogs and stuff like that, two guys who aren't afraid to really be chippy and really play with a chip on their shoulder. Like, those guys play a lot bigger than they are, Gardner-Johnson and Tyron Matthew. going to be awesome to see those two guys on the same defense. And, I mean, quarterback, like Tom Brady. I mean, arguably, too. I mean, obviously, he was jawing with Gardner-Johnson in those games and even jawing with Tyron Matthew in the Super Bowl. I mean, the Saints, I mean, that, that you know, I think that's pretty funny in a way. Kind of, let's just get the guys who Brady doesn't like and put them on our defense, and let's see uh, if we could continue to beat him in the regular season. It's been good so far, the last two regular seasons. One last thing, core that will wrap up on real quick. We've talked about Baker Mayfield and kind of how the writing was on his wall, uh, writing was on the wall for his time in Cleveland, obviously with Deshaun Watson coming in and stuff like that. But the draft passes, Baker Mayfield. No, still remains a Cleveland Brown core. We saw a couple other teams too fill a quarterback need. It doesn't look like now Carolina will go get Baker Mayfield after trading into the third round for Matt Corral. Atlanta, I would also say probably off the table too. I didn't really think Atlanta was a made a lot of sense, but now they're definitely off the table. I think the only logical spot that if you ask me right now that would put Baker Mayfield even a realistic chance to start next year would be the Seattle Seahawks and I I guess I gotta think it's gonna happen just because it makes too much sense like again and I don't see why Seattle wouldn't do it too Seattle did a good job of drafting this past weekend bringing in Charles Cross Kenneth Walker some corners on day three I, I can't to my, they made another really good pick that I also did like in this draft. I think it was in the second round. It was when they picked Walker and somebody else besides the fact. So what, ha- what, what I'm trying to get at is this. I think that yeah, – do, are they rebuilding? Yes, but I think that maybe they could find something in Baker Mayfield. Again, we talked about the chip on his shoulder with C.J. Gardner-Johnson and Tyron Matthew. Baker Mayfield has always kind of like – been a little bit of an underdog in his career, even through college and stuff like that. There's a guy who had a good 2020 season too. Now that kind of the Browns have kicked him to the curb after he kind of came into Cleveland and provided quarterback st- stability that they desperately needed. Uh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to stand in Baker Mayfield's way. So I think he would definitely be worth trading for. Obviously at this point, I feel like you can get him for a relatively low value. And I'm curious to think like for, if it's not Seattle, like where else do you see? Hey, I mean, if it's not going to be Seattle, I think, I think um, Carolina. Obviously, it's not going to be so. Atlanta probably not. I I don't. I I honestly don't see. I like right now. I'm looking. I think Seattle probably is the top, the top option. I don't really see other teams going to look out and and try to get them. Like obviously, Minnesota. He's not starting over Kirk Cousins. I I just don't see anywhere else. Detroit doesn't really make sense. I think Seattle might be the might be the place for him, and I don't know. I think Drew Locke. I think if if it, the competition is between him and Drew Locke, I I really don't see Baker Mayfield. I think Baker Mayfield will go to Seattle with a chip on his shoulder, like he's done everywhere he's gone. I think obviously he's not going to feel entitled to get that spot. So I would expect him to beat out Drew Locke and get get that starting job for Seattle come uh, come week one, honestly. But like you said, I think the other thing is like you're not going to have to give up that much for Baker Mayfield. His his value has certainly decreased over the last few weeks, months, just because they have Deshaun Watson now. So I don't know. I feel like he could easily go for a fourth round pick, in my opinion. So I don't know. Honestly, outside of Seattle, I don't really see that many teams um, who who are going to make a push for him. Yeah, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see and kind of see how this unfolds. Similar to the Debo Samuel situation, it looks like we could have a while potentially before he's on the move. But with that being said, Core, that's going to do it for today's episode. Anything else you kind of want to leave off with? 
just just good to be back talking football. I'm not sure the next episode will be, but yeah, it was good to have the draft just to bring back some type of uh, some type of football and being able to talk about it. So it was good, definitely good to to get on this episode. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Corey, listen, the Giants haven't had a whole ton of success in this past decade. So the draft night is normally a pretty important night for me. I love the draft. I always immerse myself in it and get to know some of these prospects. And like I said, I talk like I'm an expert on these guys when I'm watching. Well, I've watched a little bit of them, read about it then. But yeah, those three days, the Thursday, Friday, and the Saturday, definitely an awesome three days of the NFL calendar year. Except happy that we were able to recap it, talk about some other news, and we will definitely be on soon whenever some of this news breaks, I know definitely one thing that we're going to have to keep an eye on core going to the college world of things. Jordan Addison who had almost 1600 yards last year and 17 touchdowns for Pitt. Kenny Pickett's favorite target for sure. It looks like he's entering the transfer portal rumors of a lot of NIL deals with USC, maybe a little tampering. So that's definitely some big news to look forward to. And I'm definitely excited to potentially talk about that and see how that situation unfolds in the college sides of things. But that's going to do it for today's episode. Be sure to check us out on the Instagram at the deep ball underscore. Take care, everybody. Have a good one.